0: What we're going to do tonight is uh, go over Rosh Hashanah. The material I am using is an outline that I got from Aleph Beda, Rabbi Foreman. He's got a five-video series on Rosh Hashanah. The first place it's mentioned is in Leviticus 23-24. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, You shall observe a day of solemn rest. A memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord. The memorial of trumpets is literally zikron teruah, which means remembering the cry of the shofar. My translation reads as if you are conducting a memorial by blowing trumpets. In other words, It's like a parade, you know, where you have the trumpets going and so forth. That's not what it says in the Hebrew. What it is is remembering the cry of the shofar. Side note here. I think everybody is aware this is the only feast of the Lord where no one knows the day or the hour. Because you don't know until you see the moon. And seeing the moon can swing a day or so either way. And when you actually are able to see the moon, is up to God. Every other biblical holiday, you know exactly when it's going to be. So, for example, for Passover, Passover is the 14th day of Nisan. Well, as soon as you see the moon in Nisan, then you just have to count 14 days and you're at Passover. There's no question about it. Same thing with first fruits. Same thing with Shavuot you count 50 days. Same thing with Yom Kippur. Once we do get the new moon then you only have to count 10 days and you know when Yom Kippur is. Similarly Sukkot. So all of those you know exactly when they're gonna happen once you know when the moon starts. But with the first of Tishri, which is Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, you don't know until you see the moon. So it's one of those where no one knows the day or the hour. My personal belief, and this is Johnnyology. you do not have to like this at all if you don't want to, is that's when Yeshua is going to come back, because he's going to return with the cry of the trumpet, a blast of the shofar. Do with that whatever you want. It's a day of remembering the cry of the shofar. And the cry of the shofar that you are remembering is... Sinai so if you go to Exodus and I'm in Exodus 19 and I'm in verse 19 and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up now the Hebrew is a little different in my English translation mine says as the sound of the trumpet grew louder, it says, as the trumpet walked, as in walking. And if you look at the Hebrew, it says, the sound of the trumpet, ha-shofar, ho was going. So the sound of the shofar was going, so the shofar was walking toward them. Remember, everybody knows what halaha is, right? It's how do you walk it out. So the the halak is the root word meaning to walk. And that turns out to be kind of important. Now, where have we seen that before? There is, in fact, an earlier instance. Genesis. Genesis 3, verse 8. This is after they've eaten of the forbidden fruit. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So the voice of God is walking. At Sinai, they hear the voice of the shofar walking. So, the idea then is a day of remembering the cry of the shofar, what it's supposed to do is take you back to when we heard the voice of God. And that's happened twice before. It happened once in Eden, and it happened once in Sinai. And the Hebrew construct, if you will, is very similar in both cases. And one of the things that Moses makes a big deal out of in Deuteronomy, we just read it a couple weeks ago, is you didn't ever see God. So the idea at Eden of them hearing the voice of God walking in the garden indicates very much the same thing as at Sinai when they hear the voice of the shofar walking. With that, there is one example in scripture of the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, and that's in Nehemiah 8. And this is after they're coming back from the Babylonian exile. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed the place, they've been gone for 70 years, they're now coming back into the land. And they've got all sorts of problems. They've got no infrastructure. Things are all broken down. We've got the people running around taking Canaanite wives. Uh, just all sorts of problems. So now in Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand those who could understand are children who are not yet full grown and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose Beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand, and Pedahiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashum, Hazbadanah, and Zechariah, and Mishalam, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Akib, Akub, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the thing. So the people have asked Ezra to read the Torah. He's got all these people around, and I'm not gonna go through the meaning of their names, but it is highly significant. And if you want it, Rabbi Foreman has got it. For example, you have Shema means to hear, and Ananiah means to answer. All of these names have a meaning, and it's very worthwhile looking them up, and I'm not going to go through them. But anyway, they've opened the book. Everybody is standing in front of the water gate. Nehemiah is up on a platform. He's got repeaters, if you will, out in the crowd. So as he reads, they repeat what he has read so that everybody can understand. And everybody is standing there, and they read the book for six hours. They start first thing in the morning, and they read until noon. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So their reaction on hearing the Torah, possibly for the first time in 70 years, was emotional weeping. And he tells them, Do not weep. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. The idea here is this is not a solemn holiday. It is a joyous holiday. Now one of the things that we've said... The rabbis say and I agree with is this is also a day of judgment so you have on the one hand a day of judgment which if you grew up in the Sunday church which most of you did you come to look upon a day of judgment as something to be dreaded that is not the case with Yom Teruah it is in fact a joyous day and what Rabbi Foreman did is he goes through and he explains why it's a joyous day and I would like to take you through that the rabbis say that there are three components to worship on this day. And they are Malkiot, Zikronot, and Shofarot. Malkiot means kingship, Zikronot means remembering, and Shofarot means the shofar, blowing the horn. And remember in Leviticus 23, it is a day of remembering the shofar. Zikronot and Shofarot make sense, Malkiot needs a little bit of work. So let's look at Exodus 19 again. Let's pick it up at the beginning of 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came down into the wilderness of Sinai. By the way, when is this in the Hebrew year? This is Shavuot, the third month after the Passover. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, a kingdom, sort of by definition, needs what? A king. So when we're talking about Malchiot, kingship, the first part is this is when Israel accepts God as a king. What does that back out? It backs out eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil imply we're going to make our own rules we're going to know good from evil we are going to be the authority in our lives so what happens at sinai then is when they accept god as king what they are doing is saying we have not done so well being the kings of our own lives what we want to do is now put you as king of our lives and our national king because this business that we started back in the garden of being our own moral authority didn't work out so good. So the first theme, if you will, of Yom Teruah, which is remembering the voice of the trumpet, is kingship. And what we're doing is we are remembering that at Sinai we accepted God as our king. So that's the first part of the holiday. Now, Zikronot, remembering. Here, I think Rabbi Foreman was brilliant. He said this in a way that I have never thought of. Memory is weaving events into stories. Think about that for a minute. If I were to ask you, for example, what you did yesterday, if it isn't part of a story, I doubt if you could tell me what you did. But, gee, I went to the pharmacy and there I met somebody I hadn't seen in a couple of weeks, and we talked a little bit, and you know, you have this whole story that goes with remembering going to the pharmacy. So the idea here is memories are composed of stories. You've all watched movies, right? Anybody here not seen a movie? Am I talking foreign territory to anybody here? One of the things that a movie has is a soundtrack. And as you're watching the movie, this soundtrack is sort of playing at almost a subconscious level but they manipulate the movie to let you know what your emotions should be at every stage of the movie now the problem with your life and my life is we don't have a soundtrack you don't know until much later that gee that event was really important in my life you just sort of walk into that event and You know, you wing it and do whatever it is you're doing in the event, and you walk out, and it's maybe only years later that you realize, wow, that was a pivotal point in my life. Because you don't have a soundtrack. You don't have a storyteller who is narrating the story of your life and providing clues for you as to how you should feel about each situation. You just don't have that. Now, one of the things that believers know is there is in fact a soundtrack. There is in fact an overarching storyteller. So God has got a story that he's telling. And you can see that story as you read the Bible. That by the way is what testimonies are about. He's telling you our story, or our story in relation to him, however you want to say it. But there is in fact an overarching story that you are part of. and. Once you see that, then his memories, in a sense, become part of your memories, because you fit into that story somewhere. And the whole point of remembering the voice of the trumpet is to put yourself in that story and to recognize that you are simply the latest part of that story that happens to have skin on right now. There were people before you who are now dead who were part of that story. There will be people after you who are part of that story. But the story itself is continuous from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The idea here of remembrance then is what you're remembering is your place in God's story. And you are remembering back to the sound of voice of the shofar at Sinai. You are remembering back to the voice of God walking in the garden. There are some times when the shofar is being blown in the sanctuary. You have several of them going and it'll hit something and all of a sudden every hair on my body will just stand straight up. And what I think is that is remembering the voice of God. Doesn't happen all the time, doesn't even happen very often. But when it does, there is no question whatsoever that what you're hearing is the voice of God. Remembering then, we have Malkiot, kingship, accepting God as king. Remembering is fitting your story into God's story. And then, of course, the shofar. Since God has spoken to us through the shofar, what happens when we blow the shofar back as we are adding our voice to his. In other words, he's calling, we're answering, or he's calling and our voices are blending with him, however you want to describe it. But the call of the shofar from us is blending our voice with God on this day. Now, one other thing, and we'll wrap this up. The day of remembering the cry of the shofar The themes then are kingship, we accept him as king, remembering, which means we put ourselves into his story, and then shofar out, where we add our voice back to him. Now, let's go back to the story for a minute. Foreman uses kind of an interesting example. You've all seen movies, modern movies, I don't know if they use trains anymore, but the movies I grew up on, they had trains, and probably most of you are old enough to remember movies with trains. And you have the conductor that, as the hero is going by, does something, says something, and it changes the story, and off he goes. Well, this conductor has got maybe ten frames in the movie, right? Not a very important character. In fact, he's what's called a fifth business, which is he has to be there. Otherwise, the story doesn't develop properly, but he doesn't really have any part in the story. And so let's say this guy wakes up and discovers... I'm part of a movie. There's a whole story here going on, and I'm part of it. Huh, well, that's really kind of cool. What I think I'll do is I'll go talk to the director, and I'll see if I can get another part, or maybe a bigger part, or maybe a different part. That's what happens on Yom Terua is you are going before the director of the movie, the the author of the story or whatever, and you're saying, I recognize that I am part of a large larger play. And I'd like to play a more significant part in that play. What do you got for me? Or I think you need, in addition to a conductor, I think you need somebody that can go up here and trip up a bad guy as he goes by. Can I do that too? You know, whatever, but you get the idea. So the judgment that happens on this day is the director of the movie, if you will, getting all these bit players that come up to him and say, I want to do more, and deciding where to put those bit players. So it's not judgment in the sense of, you're going to light a lake of fire. You're not. It's not that kind of a judgment. It's like the director of a play or the director of a movie saying, huh, well, see, where can I plug you in? It's that kind of a judgment. And that's why it is a joyous occasion and not a fearful occasion. And going back to Nehemiah, the people weep when they hear the Torah, perhaps for the first time in 70 years. And one of the things I think they're weeping about is the realization of just how far their behavior is from what God is hoping for. And what Nehemiah does, he says, stop it. This is a time of joy. Go back and feast. Make sure you bring people in who haven't prepared anything and make sure they join your feast. This is a joyous occasion. And it is a joyous occasion because what you're doing is you are remembering that you're part a larger story, and what you're trying to do is figure out and convince the director of what your part should be in the upcoming year. So in that sense, it's a time of judgment. And you walk up and say, I ought to be the 20th candidate for president. And he's looked at me and said, "Eh, it's probably not what I want you to do this next year. So there'll be some of that, but you understand what's going on. It's a joyous time, and as you get ready for it, what you ought to be thinking about is how is the world going to be better this time next year for your having been in it? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to go out and slay the Antichrist or anything like that. It simply means what are you going to do so that your part of the story goes the way God wants it to go? C'est